this morning and turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 and let's have a word of prayer. Lord Heavenly Father we thank you once more for this wonderful day. We thank you Lord for the opportunity to gather together in this place to come around your word and Lord we pray that this morning you would prepare our hearts to receive from you. Lord you would give us understanding of the passage that is before us. You would teach us, instruct us through it. Lord I pray that this morning you would empower me through the spirit. Lord you give me wisdom and guidance as I speak that it would indeed be your words, it would be your thoughts, and that, Lord, you would be honoured and glorified and praised. And we pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. As Nathan already read for us in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 and onwards, we have recorded for us yet another of our Lord's familiar parable stories. This time it's the, the story of the wheat and the tares. And this parable was spoken... Uh, shortly after Christ spoke the parable of the soul, which, of course, we looked at last Sunday for those who were here. I know many were away, so if you missed that one, you'll have to go and listen to it uh, online, the recording. But last Sunday, we looked at the parable of the soul, which, of course, is here at the start of Matthew chapter 13. You read of that parable there in verses 3 through to 9, and then Christ gives the interpretation of that parable under his disciples in verse 18 through to 23. And so just after we've read the interpretation of the parable of the sower, we come to verse 24 and it begins with the words, it says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying... And so he's just finished explaining the parable of the the sower and now Christ puts forth yet another parable unto the multitude. And this parable, as I said, is spoken at the same time and we find Christ begins with a very similar image, doesn't he? You know, Christ begins speaking about a man going forth to sow seed in his field. But of course, the emphasis in these two parables is completely different. In the parable of the sower, the emphasis is upon the type of soil that the seed falls upon. And we looked at those soils last week, the wayside, the stony, the thorny, and the good ground. And we saw that each of those soils represents the hearts of men. And the type of heart um, dictates the response to the gospel and to the word of God. And so we saw the reception of the message depends upon the heart of the hearer. But in the parable of the weed and the tares, the emphasis is upon two different types of seeds growing up together in one field until the time of harvest. And as we come now this morning to consider this parable, uh, to consider the meaning of it and gain understanding of it, we need to begin by noticing the words at the very start of this parable story. Verse 24, Christ begins, he says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man. Now, if we miss those words, the kingdom of heaven, 
we will misunderstand and misinterpret everything that now follows in this parable story. We need to understand that what follows is about the kingdom of heaven. Now, we've discussed this uh, on previous occasions, but let's refresh our minds as to what exactly Christ is talking about when he says the kingdom of heaven. Now, the kingdom of heaven is a spiritual kingdom. It's an age that began when Christ died on the cross. You know, our Lord's message from the very beginning of his ministry here on earth was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Just go back to Matthew chapter 4, four with me. Matthew 4, <clears throat> we read those words. Matthew 4 and verse 17. <clears throat> it says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so this was our Lord's message from the very beginning of his ministry. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or it's drawing nigh. It is about to begin. It's about to begin. Now, of course, the Jews, when they heard Christ saying this, they thought he was speaking about a physical kingdom here on earth. You know, they long waited expectantly for their Messiah to come and to set up his kingdom, the messianic kingdom here on earth. And so they thought he was speaking about this physical earthly reign, the millennial kingdom. But the kingdom that Christ brought to earth at his first advent, his first coming, was a spiritual kingdom in the hearts of men. And the Lord makes this very clear at his trial before Pilate. Just go over to John with me, John chapter 18. John chapter 18 and verse 36. So Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. And Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And so Christ, he stands before Pilate, makes it clear that yes, he's a king, but his kingdom is not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom that he brought to earth at his first coming. And so it's this spiritual kingdom that Christ is referring to in this parable story and indeed in the other kingdom parables, some of which we've already looked at. It's a kingdom that began with Christ's death on the cross and all who place their faith and trust in him are now subjects, are citizens of this kingdom. You know, we must also understand that the church is not the same as the kingdom of heaven. The church is part of the kingdom. We are in the kingdom. We are citizens of the kingdom. But the kingdom extends past the end of this church age. And so they are not one and the same thing. One commentator explained it well. He said this, It is to be stressed that when Christ revealed truth about the kingdom, he was not speaking about the church. The, kingdom, the coming kingdom age of which Christ spoke began at the time of Israel's rejection of him as Messiah and will continue until Israel's future reception of him as Messiah at the second advent. 
And so we must keep this in mind this morning as we approach this passage. That this parable, and indeed the other kingdom parables, is not about the church. We can see lessons for the church, we can see aspects of the church, but it's not about the church. It's about the kingdom as a whole, the, the age that stress, stretches sorry, from Christ's first advent through to his second advent, this age as a whole. And if we fail to make that distinction, we will misinterpret and misunderstand this parable, as indeed many do. And so we need to keep that in focus this morning. And so with all that in mind, and that was a long introduction this morning, let's consider first of all the image of the parable. The image of the parable. Begin with me in verse 24. It says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruits, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? And he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. And so here we have the parable story, or the image of the parable. And it begins with uh, Christ giving us this image of a farmer going forth into his field to sow seed. Okay, in verse 24, he says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. And so the Lord here, as he gives us this image of the farmer sowing seed, he, he emphasizes the fact that he is sowing good seed. Sowing good seed in his field. And this speaks of the fact that the farmer... You know, he's made sure that he's gone and purchased the very best, you know, the highest quality seed that he can find before he plants his field. And so he's planting that which is of the highest quality. It's pure. It's free from any corrupting seed. And in verse 25, Christ makes it clear that the crop that he is sowing is wheat. Okay? But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. So the crop that he's put in, this good seed, is described as being wheat. Now we know wheat you know, is a vital source of food, even today, but particularly in Bible times, it was a vital source of food under the people. So this farmer is uh, planting a crop of great benefit, not just under himself, but indeed under the community that he's going to sell it to, he's providing food for. And therefore the farmer is very careful to source good seed, pure wheat seed free from weeds free from corruption seed that will yield a great harvest providing food and benefits unto the community but during the nights we see that a man, an enemy enters in to this field and sows tares in with the pure wheat verse 25 but while men slept his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way so we see now that this farmer has an enemy. 
The enemy comes during the night. He, he pollutes the field. He goes out into that farmer's field and he sows over top of the wheat and in amongst the wheat these tares. And so he pollutes the, fee, the field with this weed. Now this is the only place in the Word of God that we see this particular Greek word used, this word that's translated tares. And the word refers to a plant called the bearded darnel. And Robertson, he writes this, This bearded darnel is common in Palestine and resembles wheat, except that the grains are black. In its earlier stages, it is indistinguishable from the wheat stalks, so that it has to remain till near the harvest. And so this enemy sows in a seed that is effectively going to go unnoticed for quite a while. It's going to grow undetected until nearer the time of harvest when the grain begins to form on both the wheat and upon the tares or the darnel. It's only then that it will be easily distinguished to the eye. But by then, of course, it's too late to easily be removed. It's going to take more effort to remove at harvest time. It's also important to note that this grain, uh, the darnel, it produces a grain that is poisonous to eat. And so it cannot simply be ignored. You can't just simply leave it in the field and, you know, harvest the grain and put it all in together. One commentator writes this. He says, this darnel is a kind of ryegrass and the only species of the grass family, the seeds of which are poisonous. The effect of eating darnel being to produce violent nausea, convulsions and diarrhea, which frequently ends in death. And so this enemy has done more than just make the farmer's life hard, you know, more than just make more work for him to do come harvest time. This enemy has polluted his crop with a deadly seed. You know, his actions here are cruel and sadistic. And this enemy is seeking to destroy the farmer's crop to essentially make it worthless. As we then read on in the parable story, we see that when the crop begins to mature, the servants finally realize what's happened. Look at verse 26. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruits, then appeared the tares also. And so it's only once the crop has sprung up, it's begun to mature, and they're both now, the, the tares and the wheat are beginning to bring forth fruits. It's only then that the servants notice the tares, the darnel, mixed in with the wheats. And they are immediately concerned by this. They're concerned, and so they report their findings unto the householder or the farmer, verse 27. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? You know, they see this sight, this great amount of tares in the field, and they are concerned. You know, it wasn't uncommon for there to be some tares in amongst the wheat. I mean, you know, naturally sown by the wind, blown into the field. It wasn't uncommon for there to be some tares. You know, as they looked out at the field, there was a lot of tares. There was, it was evident there was something very wrong had happened here. And so they come and they ask the question of their, their master, the farmer. They say, sir, didst not thou sow good seed in this field? You know, essentially, they come and they inquire. They say, didn't you plant the very best, the, very, the most pure seed in your field? And they, of course, already know the answer, don't they? They already know that the farmer had taken good care 
to sow the best seed. And that leads them to the second question. From whence then hath it tares? Now we know you sowed with the very best, so how then have you ended up with a field that's full of tares? How has this happened? You see, they are concerned at how a field sown with good seed has become so polluted with that which is poisonous and corrupt. And in verse 28, we see the farmer, he already knows the answer. Verse 28, he said unto them, an enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? The farmer already knows the answer. He knew he had an enemy who was against him. He knew the enemy had done this to him, planted in his field. And his servants now, upon this revelation, they're uh, angered, if you like, to learn what's happened, and they immediately want to do something about it. They want to go out into the field. It says at the end of verse 28, Wilt thou then that we go out, uh, sorry, go and gather them up? They want to go out into the field, and they want to begin to pull up each individual tear, plant, darnell plant for their master, for the farmer. They want to get rid of the poison. You know, they're so willing to do this that they're willing to painstakingly go through the field. You can sense some love for the farmer here too, can't you? Some respect for the landowner. But the farmer instructs them to leave the tares alone until the harvest. Look in verse 29. But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say unto the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So the farmer says, you know, leave them alone. Let both continue to grow together. You know, it seemed like the obvious solution to go out in the field and to begin to pull up each individual tear plant. But the farmer knew something about that tear that, you know, the, the roots of that plant would be intertwined with the roots of the wheat and they would do damage by pulling up the tares. And so instead, he said, leave it alone, let both grow together until the time of harvest and then the skilled harvesters will come in and they will distinguish between the two and separate them. And so at this time of harvesting, the tares will be destroyed and the wheat we gathered into the barn. We saw that in verse 30. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And so the tares at harvest time would be first to be cut down and to be gathered together and destroyed. And then the wheat would be brought into the barn. And so this is the parable story that the Lord gives to us. We see two very different seeds planted in the same field. One is beneficial unto people and one is very poisonous. And they are both left to grow side by side in this field until the time of harvest. When the, the tares, the darnel, will be removed first, leaving only the wheat to enter into the barn. That's the Lord's parable story. So let's consider secondly here this morning the interpretation of the parable. Interpretation of the parable. Look in verse 36. <clears throat> it says, Then Jesus said, sorry, then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, 
declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man, the field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. As we saw last week with the parable of the sower, <clears throat> the disciples are left scratching their heads after hearing this parable. They don't understand what it means. And so like the parable of the sower, they come and they ask the Lord. They say, Lord, explain to us the parable of the tares, the wheat and the tares. And thankfully, the Lord goes on and he gives us a very detailed explanation, doesn't he? When you read his explanation there, it's wonderful. The Lord just goes step by step through it. And he tells us what each individual thing in the parable means. It should be simple, shouldn't it? You know, even with this very detailed explanation of the parable given to us by the Lord, men still interpret the parable incorrectly. And the reason is because they want to apply this parable to the church. And therefore they see the field here as the church. They see the wheat as true believers and the tares as false believers who have infiltrated the church, this field. For instance, <clears throat> one commentator writes this. He says, This parable teaches us that good and evil will always be found together in the professing church until the end of the world. The visible church is set before us as a mixed body. It is a vast field in which wheat and tares grow side by side. We must expect to find believers and unbelievers, converted and unconverted, all mingled together in every congregation of baptized people. He then goes on, he says, The pre present mixed state of things is not to be forever. The wheat and the tares are to be divided at last. The Lord Jesus shall send forth his angels in the day of his second advent and gather all professing Christians into two great companies. And this is indeed how many interpret the parable. And it stems from their lack of understanding concerning the kingdom of heaven. They want to apply it to the church. It also stems from their understanding concerning end times as well as to why they interpret it this way. And so many interpret it this way. And as I said, it comes from a wrong starting point that the kingdom of heaven is the same as the church, which as we said in the introduction, it's not. The church is part of the kingdom, but the kingdom age extends past the end of the church age. And the parable story here is very clearly about the kingdom of heaven, not about the church. And so then if the parable is not speaking about corruption in the church, what is Christ teaching us? Well, let's consider Christ's own interpretation. Let's see what the Lord says about this parable. The Lord begins by declaring that the one sowing the seed is none other than himself. Look in verse 37. 
He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. Now the Son of Man is a title used in the Old Testament for the Messiah. We could turn to Daniel chapter 7, we won't for time's sake, but in Daniel 7 we see this title used concerning the Messiah, the Son of Man. So Christ here tells us very clearly that He is the farmer. He is the one who sows this good seed in the field. And so it's a work that He has done. It's His work. He then goes on very clearly to state for us that the field is the world. He says at the start of verse 38, He says, The field is the world. I don't know about you, but that's very simple, isn't it? Very clear. Christ doesn't say here the field is the church. He says the field is the world. And so the field represents the world and Christ, the farmer, he has sown his good seed into this world. And he tells us who the good seed are. He says the seed, the good seed, are the children of the kingdom. Verse 38 again. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The seed are the children of the kingdom. Now this is different from the parable of the sower, isn't it? In the parable of the sower, we saw the seed represented the word of God. Here, the seed represents the children of the kingdom. In other words, the seed here represents all who are citizens of this kingdom of heaven. Now, of course, that speaks of all true believers. And so the church is certainly included here. Here we are. We are the children of the kingdom. That's who who we are in this parable. We're the children of the kingdom. It's all true believers. We are the children of God, the children of the king. 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's just turn there. 1 Peter 2 and verse 9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous lights, which in time past were not a people, but now, sorry, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Peter here talks about the fact that we are now the citizens of the kingdom of God. We are his peculiar people. We are the children of God. We belong to him. And so indeed, all who place their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, all who are saved by faith in his finished work there on the cross, are the children of the kingdom. All believers are this good seed that is sown into the field into the world. And presently, that good seed is the church. All who are here today who are saved, all who are saved in the world today, the church. But you know, even after the church is raptured, taken home to be with him, the children of the kingdom will still be found here on earth in this field. It will be found amongst those who turn to him during the tribulation. That's seven years of tribulation. Go to Revelation chapter 7 with me. Here we read of the tribulation saints. Revelation chapter 7. 
and verse 9. Before this, you read of the 144,000 Jews, so they're included as well. Okay, but verse 9, it says, and this, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, and kindreds, and people, peoples, and tongues, stood before the throne, and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, and palms in their hands. And if you drop down to verse 14, it says, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Here we read of the tribulation saints. And it says that likewise their, their robes are washed in the blood of the Lamb. These are his children, just as we are. They're believers. Planted here on earth during the tribulation, they come to him. And so the children of the kingdom are all believers. And when Christ died on the cross, right through to his second advent at the end of the tribulation, it doesn't just include the church. It includes everyone who's saved in this age. And like wheat, the children of the kingdom are of great benefit unto this world. We are planted here by the Lord Jesus Christ, to be a blessing unto this world, to grow up and to reflect Him, show His love unto this world, and indeed to reproduce, to bring others unto the Lord as well. And so the children of the kingdom are like wheat. We are to be a blessing, to be a benefit unto this world. And so it's very clear. Christ tells us that He's the one who's sowing the seed. The field is the world. The good seed is the children of the kingdom, all believers and we're sown here to be a blessing then our lord goes on and he tells us who the tares are in this parable and he tells us also who it is that sows them into the field verse 38 again the field is the world the good seed are the children of the kingdom but the tares are the children of the wicked one the enemy that sowed them is the devil here we see very clearly that the enemy who sows this corrupt, poisonous seed alongside the good seed is none other than the devil himself. You know, from the very beginning, the devil has worked against the Lord. Ever since his heart was lifted up with pride and he sought to be like the Most High. Isaiah 14, let's turn there. Isaiah chapter 14, we know this passage well, but... <clears throat> Let's just read it, Isaiah 14. <clears throat> Isaiah 14 and verse 12. It says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mounts of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the, sides of the pit. You know, here we see very clearly, we see Lucifer, Satan. We see his rebellion against the Lord. His heart lifted up with pride. He wanted to be like the Most High. He wanted to be God. And he has continually worked since his rebellion. He has continually worked against the Lord. And he continues to do so even 
now in this kingdom of heaven age, in this spiritual kingdom. We're told that the tares represent his children. The end of verse 38 there says, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The tares represent his children. Again, the, the, you know, his children are found throughout every age. You know, in John chapter 8, Christ declared the Pharisees were the children of the devil. Let's turn, turn there, John chapter 8. <clears throat> John 8 verse 44. <clears throat> Christ speaking to the Pharisees here, he says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Christ says very clearly, he says, Ye are of your father the devil. So he points to the Pharisees and says that they are the children of the devil. They are the children of this wicked one working against the truth. And indeed, all who are not saved, all unbelievers, are children of the devil. That's the reality. That's, that's the distinction here. If you're not one of the children of the kingdom, saved, then you're unsaved and you're a child of the devil. That's the distinction. Go over to 1 John chapter 3 with me. 1 John 3. First <clears throat> John 3 and verse 8. <clears throat> It says, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother." John here speaks about this distinction between the children of God and the children of the devil. The children of God here, he says, do not sin. Of course, that's the idea of not continuing to live in sin. Being regenerated and made anew by their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The children of the devil are unsaved and they work the works of their father. Unrighteousness. And so all believers are included here in this statement. Okay, has been tears. All, believe, all unbelievers, sorry, are unsaved in this kingdom of kingdom heaven age they are the children of the devil and they are sown into this field into this world alongside the children of god you know unlike the wheat the children of god the saved who are sown to be a blessing unto this world and to show people the love of god the tares, the children of the devil, are poisonous. And they make mankind miserable and bring death. You know, the devil actively works in amongst his children to destroy this world. Ephesians 2 tells us that. Ephesians 2, I know we're turning to a few passages, but Ephesians 2. <clears throat> Ephesians 2 verse 2, it says, Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The prince of the power of the air, the devil. He's the one who works in the children of disobedience. He's working in and through them in this world. As they are sown alongside the good seed, the believer. And this will continue to be the case that the wheat and the tares, believer and unbeliever, exist side by side. This will continue to be the case until Christ comes again and he separates the wheat and the tares. We see that there in verse 39. Back in our passage this morning, Matthew 13, verse 39, it says, The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be at the end of this world. Here we see the Lord now interprets for us the final portion of the parable, the harvest. The Lord tells us very clearly that the harvest will occur at the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. That's what Christ says. And so the harvest, this separation of the wheat and the tares, will happen at the end of this kingdom age. Or in other words, at the end of the seven years of tribulation. Again, the church is not in view here. We will already have been raptured up to glory to be with the Lord. First Thessalonians 4, we're already in heaven been taken up to be with him at the start of the tribulation. This harvest will occur when he returns his second time to the earth. That's when this judgment, that's when this harvest will begin. And we see this judgment, we see this day of harvest described in Revelation 14. Let's turn there, Revelation 14. <clears throat> Revelation 14, verse 17 says, And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud, uh, sorry, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse's bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Revelation 14, we see described this harvest. Now the image is slightly different. It's the harvest of grapes. We see the wicked here are harvested and they are cast into the winepress of the wrath of God. This harvest is a day of judgment. When Christ will return and he will separate the tares from the wheat. And the destiny of the tares, the destiny of all unbelievers, is eternity in hell. Eternity in the lake of fire. We see that there in a passage this morning in verse 40. It says, as therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, 
and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. You know, people don't like to talk about hell these days. But hell is a very real reality for the unbeliever. We see here a terrible description of what awaits the children of the wicked one, the unsaved. This is the destiny of all who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. They will be cast into hell where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. This is a description of immense pain and suffering. And it's the eternal destiny of the unsaved. But here in particular, in verses 40 to 42, the emphasis is especially upon the cleansing of the kingdom at the end of the age. This is the destiny of all the unsaved to spend eternity in hell. That's the destiny of all who reject Christ. But the emphasis in particular in the parable here is upon the unsaved alive when he comes again. The cleansing of the kingdom. Let's read it again, verse 40. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. It describes here the Lord's cleansing of the kingdom when he returns. He will remove all the tares, all the, the wickedness, leaving only the wheat, the believers, to enter into his millennial kingdom. In verse 41 there, as we just read, it describes how he will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend. All that are against him will be removed and only the righteous, the wheat, will remain. Verse 43, Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun of the kingdom of their father, who, hath, who that hath ears to hear, let him hear. You see, this describes the millennial reign of Christ. Christ will return from heaven. Christ will enact judgment. He will separate the wheat from the tares. The tares will be judged. And all that is left is the wheat, the righteous, to enter in and enjoy the kingdom of their father. You see, this speaks of those tribulation saints who are alive when Christ returns. They are the wheat that will be left. The tares are judged first. You notice that? They're removed, cast into the fire, and only the wheat is left to be harvested and put into the barn, the millennial kingdom here on earth. And you know, Revelation 20 and verse 6 makes it very clear that we will be there to witness that day because we'll come back to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. Just turn there. This is a wonderful verse. Revelation 20. <clears throat> Revelation 20 and verse 6. It says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. That's us. On such the second death hath no power, for they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. So, beloved, we will be there to witness all this take place. We'll be there to rule and reign with him for a thousand years in the millennial kingdom. We'll return with him. You know, the point of this whole parable here this morning, the point that we must understand and take away from it, is that the wheat and the tares 
are going to grow together in this world throughout this age until Christ comes again. They're going to grow side by side. And beloved, it's not our job to go out and try and pull up the tares. It's not our job to try and get rid of the children of the wicked one. We've seen some crusades in the past under the banner of trying to do that very thing. To somehow purify the kingdom. Beloved, it's not our job to bring the kingdom in. Only God can do that. Only God can purify this field. And he will do so when he comes again. He will do so when he comes on that day of harvest. And so instead, as believers, as children of the kingdom, as the wheat, his good seed planted here in this field, our job is to show his love, his grace, his mercy unto the children of the wicked one. Our job is to show them Christ to be of benefit and blessing unto this world. To show them Christ so that they might come to him before it's eternally too late. Beloved, he's planted us here in this field for a purpose. We are the children of the kingdom, called to be salt and light unto this world. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word today. Lord, we thank you for this parable, which gives us a very clear insight into the end times and Lord how you will come again and you will indeed set up your earthly kingdom and you will separate the tares from the wheat only the wheat the believers who are alive will enter into that kingdom Lord we thank you that we will be there to rule and reign with you for a thousand years what a blessing we look forward to those days but Lord right now we understand that we're in a field where there is wheat and tares sown side by side Lord, may you help us as wheat, as children of the kingdom, to be a blessing and a benefit unto this world. Help us to shine forth as a light. May we bring others to you before it is eternally too late. Lord, bless as we close this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.